You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology on WMR.FM. It is the 19th of May, 2022. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Waste Media, and uh, Dave Davies isn't here. Um, Dave's actually in Mexico for the next two weeks. Um, Dave and Mary trooped on down to Mexico in advance of the unofficial SEO, oh my God, we got to get out of here, get together. Um, that's starting next week. Uh, so Dave's not here, man. But in his place, Christine Chackinger is sitting in the guest chair. Uh, Christine from Sites Without Walls in Vegas, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, it's been a busy week in uh, the search world, as as always. Um, it's pretty hard to hard to know where to start, uh, domestic or foreign, um, weird or serious. It's one of those weeks. Um, just a quick note to people who are keeping score: it's May, the middle of May, twenty twenty two. In a couple of weeks, the year is going to be half over. And summer's coming, which means get out, enjoy yourself, and uh, you know, um, take time away from 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 the keyboard. Um, a lot of us forgot to do that over the years. Uh, don't don't forget to do that. So let's start. Let's start with 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 I guess um, foreign news. Um, Google has still been operating in Russia. Eh? Yeah, I was, and. Um, well, and Google's, it's hard to extract Google from anywhere on the internet. Um, Google has shut down their revenue generators, their major revenue generators in Russia. Like, it shut down um, um, page search. Um, it's not producing Russian ads or selling ad space to um, Russian clients any longer. It's certainly not participating in, in uh, uh, uh any commercial ventures in Russia, but the search engine is still running. Um, YouTube is still running. Um, Google, the Google Play, the the, the the Google Store is 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 still operable until this morning. 
So this morning, the Russian state seized uh, all Google's bank accounts. Yeah, they've been known to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Google uh, saw approximately a billion to a billion and a half American dollars in, in, in revenues out of Russia every year. I don't know what they were keeping in their company or their corporate accounts in Russia. Um, but that now belongs to the Russian state, leaving Google pretty much um, resourceless in, 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 in Russia. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I haven't, what do you think of this? This is a weird story. Well, it's pretty typical for how Putin operates, right? He, he creates situations and then he sees his company assets. Um, it's not it's not unusual for him to do that, I would say. But um, it is funny that they also want to keep YouTube running. Well, indeed. He wants, he wants Google to keep pieces of Google running. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I've, I've, I've not seen them seize the assets of a company that's willingly participating, you know, it's willingly still still operating. Um, and it leaves Google in the weirdest position. What does it do now? Well, Google has 50-50 share in Russia with Yandex. Although I don't know how Yandex is. I, Yandex is still up and running, but I know there was some doubt about their continuance as well. Well, Yandex uh, relies on technology from so many other sources, yeah. so many third parties outside of Russia. Well, and the other thing, too, is part of the disinformation requires people don't get information. So, oh, well, um, indeed, or they just get the information that's, you know, disinformation program for them. China's got tons yeah. of search engines, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I mean is they, they don't want factual, real information. They want disinformation. So, so Russia getting rid of Google's search engine is fine with them, but they don't want to get rid of the YouTube because <laughs> they like the YouTube. So they said it would hurt, it would hurt Russian citizens to get rid of YouTube. Uh, so. That's left. That's left. Google Russia filing for bankruptcy. Um, yeah. it, it can't operate as a company any longer. Well, the odd, odd thing to me is, though, I mean, they can't. The part of it is they can't do payment processing, right? So, yeah. Well, they can't pay their employees either. Like seriously, yeah. why? Why? Why does um, a Googleite in, in in Moscow show up for work if they're not going to get paid, and there's no no hope of getting paid because the company's got no bank account? Exactly, exactly. So how do you so, keep YouTube running? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the thing is, is for Google, I mean, I don't know how much money they make in Russia, so I can't say it's not like a financial hardship anyway. About a billion anyway. American a year, according according to the, an article in Ars Technica. Oh, well, then, I'm like, isn't that like $100 to you and me for Google? <laughs> mm, not a billion rubles, a billion American dollars. Oh, still, aren't they a trillion dollar, aren't they a trillion dollar company? Not quite, but you're right. That's that is that is um, maybe a uh, fraction of the income that they actually see in a year. Still, a billion between friends is nothing to sneeze at. No, their ad revenue alone last year was two hundred and nine billion. So it's nothing to sneeze at. But given the the fact that they had to be com um, compliant with the censorship laws uh, around everything that's going on right now, which means mm -hmm. they'd also be helping. Uh, increased disinformation about Ukraine. Uh, I think that Google should use it, turn it around, and make it a, a point of pride that they're no longer in Russia, even though they're, they're yeah. one of the last ones to leave. Yeah, I, I, don't, mean, actually, I don't think there's a lot of pride in Google Land right now. They were operating in Russia. Like, well, <laughs> no, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying that with a grain, like a tongue in cheek. I'm saying, I mean, like, Putin hates the PR. Me. 
the PR people um, at Google could take it and go, look, see, we left Russia. You didn't really leave Russia. You were kind of helping Russia, but you're out of there now. So I'm just saying that it, I don't think it's a huge, no. uh, the billion dollars isn't a huge loss that they can't make up by, like, you know, confusing us more in the search results. So we click ads. Yeah, if I, if I were them, I'd go with the Putin hates me line. That's <laughs> um, yeah, that's much more true. easily provable, and we don't want to deny it. That's, that's, that's very true. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's every piece of, you know, Western, um, every Western platform that's forced out of Russia makes it harder and harder for people to get information. But at the same time, being compliant and being complicit with the Ukraine disinformation campaign is far worse. So The, the Russian-Ukraine dif- disinformation campaign. Yes. Yeah, yes, okay. I do mean. No, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so the thing with verbal radio got to be really clear (laughs) (laughs) yes the russian disinformation campaign where you know like these poor soldiers that were taken out of moropool the steel factory who were so wounded like some of them had amputations for weeks and there was no no medication no nine painkillers um now they're parading them because the original asov group that was part of that did have ties to nazism but that's changed over the years. Like there's some that still believe that, but generally speaking, it's not a Nazi related group, but they're parading them around like they're a bunch of Nazis. And that's why they were justified to go into Ukraine. That kind of stuff Google probably doesn't want to be part of. Indeed. Indeed. There's uh there's disinformation abounds in times of, in times of war. And, uh, you know, Russia had spent several years trying to mess with uh, Western democracy before this, before, before invading. Um, so, yeah, um, I I do hope people uh, use history when judging sources um, sources of information. So, but it's really hard to tell what the source of any information on the web is right now. Um, the web is so networked and convoluted. A story out of Canada, which um, you know is near and dear to me, given that I'm Canadian. You are. Um, I am, and we're going to see we're going to see a lot more of this. We saw this in Australia uh, uh, last year, and uh, we're going to see this sort of thing in Europe. Google is in a tussle with the Canadian government, um, and Google and other large uh, large web republishers, as the Canadian government might phrase it. Uh, Bill C eighteen, the Online News Act, is. Uh, designed to compel global tech companies like Facebook or Google to um, designed to make them to compel them to negotiate a payment agreement with news organizations and compensation for news that um, is appears on the large platforms and you know the Google and Facebook and other large uh, republishing platforms take news um, and uh, well, republish it on their skin with their ads and take the ad revenue away from the uh, original content creator. So that's had a really detrimental effect on uh, on newsrooms around the world. I mean, that and the the, the, the existence of Craigslist, which destroyed the, the classified the classified ads that tended to support a lot of local newspapers. Um, Google's got a problem. Facebook has a problem with being asked to pay for links to news content, um, but the news publishers themselves have a problem. They can't pay their reporters because all the ad revenue is dried up. So um, a functioning free press, which is expensive to run, being crucial to the functioning of a democracy, 
the democracies are trying to get the uh, republishers, Google, Facebook, and other large platforms, to um, agree to legislation that will have them pay publishers for the content they republish. Sounds kind of reasonable when I put it that way, but yeah. Google calls it a link tax and suggests it will fundamentally destroy their search engine. Um, it gets kind of complicated when you look below the surface. Well, I, I agree and disagree with them on after reading about this bill, uh, that there is a part of the language that says you can't show any preference to one organization over another, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of the search engine ranking things. Mm -hmm. um, so that I definitely agree with Google needs more clarification, you know, because somebody has to be on number one, someone has to be on number 100. So you have to find a way that that's okay to do that. And Google does it with rankings. But on the other side, I don't have any compassion for these search engines that make, you know, billions and billions and probably trillions of dollars off of people coming to their websites a lot of times for news that they don't pay for. So I know originally the idea is like Google's just a search engine organizing information. And it was that way in the beginning. And if this was Google 2004, I would say now they're probably out of line. But this isn't Google 2004. And, you know, Google does get a lot of traffic for people searching for news and events. And these news orgs are suffering at the hands of Google and also being forced to do a lot of technical changes to their websites because of Google. So they cost those places, publishers, a lot of money, AMP, you know, things like that. Um, but I, I just think that it's reasonable to expect that there's some sort of remuneration for news content. Not all content, but definitely news content. It's a really difficult um, question. I'm probably going to have to side with uh, with the news creators and the and the uh, Canadian and Australian and New Zealand governments and soon to be EU governments. Um, but I get the concern about uh, about the way language is used in this in this bill. Um, the funny thing is the language about favoring one piece of content over another was put in to try to assure the search engines that they wouldn't be held um they wouldn't be like 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 accused of treating a, a paying customer more favorably than other smaller news gathering organizations uh the rule is the news gathering organization has to have at least two paid journalists to be part of the uh the uh uh and uh, two paid accredited journalists to be part of the um payment scheme. So smaller organizations might have accused Google of favoring and buying news content from from certain publishers and not publishing others. That, that's why that language was inserted, but it's really careless language. It is. It's too vague. It basically, they are correct. Google's statement was basically that they eliminate the ranking system, so they can't sign on for that, which that I agree with. Um, but I also agree with you that, you know, there's a lot of damage that's been done um, to news orgs uh, because of the way things are run nowadays, not just search engines or social. There's also monopolization in the United States, things of that nature. But the news is so important. It's so important in the United States. It's basically written into the Constitution that there, you know, be the ability to have these free speech and news. So uh, it's the fourth, you know, it's considered the, what do they call it? The fourth estate, I believe, right? Not the fifth estate. The fifth, fifth estate. estate. Sorry, fifth estate. Sorry, a little tired today. Um, 
but it's just so necessary to have real news orgs that can publish real content. And the other problem we have is that because they don't get any remuneration, Google, the top results I hit all the time now, paywalls, no free views or one free view. So maybe once in a month you've seen it. So that means all the good information is behind a paywall and the bad information, the disinformation, they're getting it off ad revenue so they don't have paywalls. So when a user is looking for something, there's a mixture of that in the search results, right? The good information and the bad information around a topic. They're going to get to read the bad information without going to the good information because nobody can afford to spend that much money on subscriptions to news orgs. And every time an article time, comes out. There was a time when Google insisted that if it was linking to your content, your content, that content that it was linking to had to be free from the paywall. And sometimes that was a good way to get around, say, you really wanted to read an editorial at the New York Times. That was a good way to get around the NYT's uh, a paywall. That was discontinued. Um, now Google, if there's a paywall, Google links to the pre-see of the article and then you, you hit the barrier of the paywall and you're kind of out of luck. Um, this is something that I think uh, publishers and platforms are going to be dueling over for months or years to come as it gets settled in different jurisdictions. Um, and again, this has already been successfully settled and accepted by, by Google, Facebook at all in, uh, in Australia and New Zealand. So we'll see what happens moving forward. Um, I... Uh, I, I, I do really hope that, that, as you said, Christine, news content should be freely available to people. But again, it's got to get paid for somehow, eh? It does. And I, and I don't have a problem if, say, Google's like, okay, you have, because they used to do this, you, used to have, you have to have X number of free views, right? And so someone gets five free views a month. If you're getting, or 10, if you're reading more than 10 articles a month, you probably should be paying a subscription. To that, to that news service, right? And I believe in news subscriptions. I'm a very big proponent of news and journalism, real journalism. But on the other side of that, you get so many things that are thrown in your face and the search engine, especially now with that huge top stories box, that you can't read. So then you have to go find an alternative article or you have to know how to get around it. And uh, the reader function in a browser is a good way to do that. Um, uh, usually you can read it without the problem. But but the thing is that, again, we just have that problem where Google set it up so that they can't be um, accused of not showing new sites that have paywalls. So they allow, uh, there's certain functionality you can do to a website to allow Google to read your site so that you can rank for things, but then the user can't get to the article. And and when it was 10, it was originally like five to 10, you get five to 10 views a month. I was like, that's cool, I get that. But now it's zero. Like I hit three articles yesterday that were zero. And there are really things I needed to read, but I couldn't read because they were behind paywalls. And I'm not paying a site that I use once every six months, you know, five, ten, twenty dollars a month to, on top of my already subscriptions, which are about 150 a month for news orgs. And how much money do they expect people can pay for news orgs, right? Like most people don't have money to, they don't have four hundred dollars for an expense in the United States. I think it's it's either forty or sixty percent. I have to go look up the stat. I think it's sixty percent. Don't have money for. $400 emergency, they certainly don't have $200 a month to subscribe to every news org. So there has to be a different answer. And Google's answer was, well, we'll give you these sites as long as they have free previews, but then Google stopped caring about the previews. And I do think that Google gets so much traffic off this because I know I've worked with a bunch of news sites. So I, I know how much kind of traffic they get off of it. Um, at one point, not now, but at one point, Huffington Post was the second most read site on the internet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and so there were several in the top 10 were mostly news orgs. 
So if Google's making that kind of revenue off of the ads for news stories, then they should be somehow remunerating these news orgs. And like I said, I don't think it's for all sites. Like an e-commerce site, it's like an equal exchange. You know, they get seen, people buy stuff. Oh, that's know, fair. Have, but, yeah, but then yeah. again, um, the way the e-commerce site makes money is people buy stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. that's, it's, it's a good exchange, really. It is. <laughs> and the problem for news orgs is Google gets all these, these visits. And they think they talk like they're 2004 Google. We're just a small company. We can't afford to pay them. We'd be doing a link tax. They're a trillion dollar company almost. You can afford to give these orgs some money. You know, speaking to a point you made made a little bit earlier um, about how much content is um, news content is fake news or um, news that is so poorly contextualized as to make an entirely different point than the subject was originally about. Um, Meta, Facebook's parent corporation, uh, released its um, annual <laughs> annual <laughs> transparency report. And you kind of have to laugh when you say uh, Meta's transparency report because they're kind of the least <laughs> opaque yeah. uh, large company out there. But um, as it turns out, and this, uh, you, you, you might want to sit down or at least be near your fainting couch for this. Um, <laughs> The uh, majority, the seemingly vast majority, about 70% of the content um, at, uh, at, at Facebook is um, inauthentic. 30% of the top 20 most widely viewed links were generated through um, bad behavior and spam. Um, the uh, approximately... 112.2 million views. Um, um, many of these, that's the number of views that many of these uh, fake articles would get before Facebook was able to stop in and uh, step in and, and, and block them. Um, well, you know, the, the thing about Facebook is that they're not very, I don't think they care most of the time <laughs> to block this stuff. The original, the original uh, disinformation campaigns for the 2016 election weren't political. They were affiliate marketers in U.S. Um, I forget what other country, two other countries outside the U.S. Macedonia uh, who, was the country. Macedonia. There was a small town, I think yeah. Skojek, Macedonia, if I remember correctly, where a couple of kids uh, discovered quite inadvertently that um, fake content uh, marketed to um, conservative thinkers made buco money yes and just to, and, and this is not a political this is a factual from the research statement those groups and the one in the u.s the guy in the u.s talked extensively in to media interviews and stuff because he was actually a democrat um he said that they tried and so did every group even though they didn't talk to each other tried as an affiliate marker will do to test which group is going to make the money so they dropped fake news into uh, Bernie groups and Hillary groups and independent groups and whatever. But whenever they got to the conservatives, those are the ones that went like qualifier. Sure, so the those Bernie Bros the, didn't go for it? I mean, you'd think. No, not for the disinformation. There's, there's reasons behind that we don't have time for it today. There's psychologies involved. If you were to, in a Bernie Bros group, use justice and fairness as your reason for getting people to share the content, mm. then, then that would go off like wildfire. There are different triggers. 
But uh, in this case, the ones that went off wildfire and all the, the three groups that were talked to media and people who've done research, uh, all were the conservative groups because they were doing a certain type of fake news. And so it would go off like wildfire. So they stopped bothering with the other groups and they just concentrated on those because the one guy said he could drop something in today and within two days he would have made tens of thousands of dollars on the ads from his sites just by dropping into like a Facebook group. So, and then Facebook is really bad about, um, I just know from a personal experience, also from the whistleblower, um, Hagen, that uh, Facebook's really bad about removing things that are um, fake news or hate speech or Nazism or, <laughs> so I've reported like groups that are only fake news, hate speech and Nazism and anti-trans. And Google comes back, I mean Google, sorry, Facebook comes back and says, oh, that's not against our community service, our terms. And you're like, really? A community standards? You're like, really? How is that not against your community standards? But as we know from the whistleblower, they're really bad about getting rid of that. And so since they're bad about getting rid of that, a lot of that is also perpetuated by bots and fake accounts, who they also don't get rid of. So. <laughs> we're going to get to bots and fake accounts soon enough. We're, we're going to be talking bots in a few minutes. But I want to stay on the, on the, on the fake news at Facebook because um, social networks are really important to us. Facebook, uh, yeah, Facebook is for old people. And yeah, Facebook is, um, you know, has a less rapidly growing user base than some other social media networks do. But it still has about a quarter of the world's population on it and is by far i think if you put all the other social medias to get all those other social media together um and added user counts you might come close to how many people are on facebook um so it's it's by far the most important communication tool in the world and the most popular video most popular I'm sorry most popular post on the most important communication tool in the world one that about a quarter of people on earth have a profile at was a short video of a drunken woman at what looks to be a UW Huskies game uh, negotiating her way up a uh, stadium uh, stairwell with the caption, this guy has 38 bucks worth of beer and he's trying not to spill while all this plays out. That's the most popular post on Facebook. Now, I got to admit, I'm compelled. I, I, I really want to know if the guy's going to spill his beer or not. I kind of do want to know that now. <laughs> um, and, that, and, 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 and it amazes me. I, I, I originally, I, I, honest to goodness, I went looking for this little factoid for this part of the story, and I went looking for it with disdain. And the moment I saw the caption, I thought, my God, I want to know if he spilled his beer or not. <laughs> That's masterful. It's amazing what captures our attention on the internet. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so we're, we're sitting here and we're dissing this stuff, right? But the honest truth is, it's compelling. It's just not it important. It's so useless. And it eats that's, so much time. That's why TikTok's so brilliant, because not only do they give you short clips of useless, but for 15 seconds, it's kind of fun to watch. Um, they keep you in the platform when you try to get out. You get another video, another video. You got to hit it like two, three times before they let you out of the platform. And then you're like, oh, but that's kind of cute. Oh, beer? Spill? Is it spilled? Oh, okay. Good. I'm done. Now I move on to the next thing. It's not, <laughs> it's not important, so you don't want to waste time on it. But it's long enough. It's short enough that you're like, well, I can watch this for 1530. Of either <laughs> next segment. And I got to sure, I, I want to I I um, impress on the listeners that that, that risk is very real. <laughs> um, 
Elon Musk and Twitter, the ongoing saga that is getting to be as um, dumb as the uh, 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 as, as as watching personal sagas uh, play out in court on Facebook. Um, like seriously, this this is, Elon is is doing his very best to piss Twitter off now. Well, yeah, because he wants out of the deal. But it's a he. It's a forty-four billion dollar. Forty was it? Forty-four billion? Forty-two billion? Fifty-four billion? 44. The number. 40, 44, okay, 44 billion dollars. Yeah, that's a lot of change, even for the richest guy on earth. Oh, it just became a lot more change last week, too. What well, it did, it did because <laughs> the value of the assets that Musk is using to support his bid have declined significantly. Yes, $200 a share from the purchase day on Tesla. And uh, he's been actively, which is against the contract, by the way, not just SEC laws for manipulation, but literally in the contract, he can't disparage Twitter. He's been actively trying what people believe, analysts, you know more than me, uh, to lower the stock price by trashing Twitter on a daily basis, which uh, I'll let you go back. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, but even even by low, trying to lower the stock price, which it, it may well, he, he may well have been trying to do that. That's kind of irrelevant because he signed an ironclad, I'm going to purchase you at this price, 44 bucks a share. At $54 a share. He locked in at 54 a share? Okay, and he did yeah. that because he was afraid of it going higher. So he wanted to get it at a price that was reasonable. And anyway, since he's been disparaging them, not only has the value of the assets he was using to support his bid declined significantly because people are looking at him going like, you're the CEO? Okay, dude. Um, uh, the value of Twitter itself has also gone down. I think it's now trading somewhere in the mid-30s per share from the mid-40s it was at before. And Twitter's board is not in any way inclined to allow Musk to re to reopen and uh, renegotiate the deal. They want to hold him to that $54 bid. So... I think at the end of all of this, if I remember correctly. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. For maximum customer engagement and retention, choose CleverTap. CleverTap is a leading customer engagement and retention platform that helps digital brands maximize lifetime value. Over 8,000 apps around the world, including Vodafone, Star, and Sony, trust CleverTap to improve user engagement, boost retention, and fuel long-term revenue growth. Learn more at CleverTap.com. That's CleverTap.com. Miami is more than beaches, palm trees, and fun in the sun. 
It's home every year to the Miami Book Fair, celebrating its 39th year of hosting authors and readers from around the world, November 13th through the 20th. Join us in downtown Miami at the Wolfson campus of Miami-Dade College. Connect with over 500 authors reading from their books in English, Spanish, French, and Creole, answering questions and signing hard copies. The 2022 edition of the Miami Book Fair welcomes everyone of all ages to come together, meet and make new friends, exchange ideas, and discover one's next favorite author. Let's explore, discover, and learn together. Featured authors will include award-winning novelists, Anthony Horowitz, Ben Mesrich, Craig Johnson, Danny Shapiro, Elena Shapiro, Jimmy Attenberg, poet Sandra Cisneros, and authors writing about the trending topics of the day. Lisa Genova, Jerry Stahl, Marie Brenner, Mark Kurlansky, Samantha Cole, Stacey Schiff, Katie Tour, and many others. For more information, please visit MiamiBookFair.com. Follow the fair at Miami Book Fair and join the conversation hashtag Miami Book Fair 2022. There's a billion dollar You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Penalty get out clause. Yes. And I think that's his best bet at this point. Uh, it is, really, because he, I've been following this pretty closely and reading the analysts who you know more than I do about these kind of deals. But he's pretty locked in. Uh, there, there's nobody that's spoken on this from a legal aspect or like a Wall Street analyst aspect who said he can get out of this deal. So even by trying to disparage Twitter by saying they have bots, he didn't know they have bots, first of all. There's plenty of articles about how Tesla... He knew they had bots. He uses he knew bots they had bots. He, used, he, knew he uses it. bots all the time. There's a great site, Hoaxy, H-O-A-X-Y. Mm-hmm. You put in a name and it'll show you the bots around a person. So whenever he's pushing something, you'll see that he has a ton more bots around him than when he's not. Um, but he's known to do it. There's articles written about it. People can look Google, you know, Musk and bots, and you'll get a bunch of articles at different times when bots were benefiting him. But he didn't do, he waived, not only didn't do, he waived due diligence. And so due diligence 
is about looking at the books and looking at the numbers and looking at the bots and looking at all the things. And he refused to do it. So he refused due diligence. So I don't even know legally where he would have a leg to stand on. And everybody is writing about it as saying that he does not have a leg to stand on. Because if you don't do due diligence, I go buy a house. I don't do the due diligence to get it inspected. And I come in and find out it's falling down around my ears. I'm responsible for what I purchased. I don't get to go back to the real estate agent and go, hey, I'm turning the house back in. <laughs> they just could go, I cashed my commission check. You're not getting the house back. You know, I'm not taking the house back. So he didn't do due diligence. If he wants to claim bots, he can do that all day long, but it's not going to get him out of the deal. So the, the big thing for him is the Tesla stock dropped 200 a share and Twitter is way down in value. So now he, he has to buy, get a lot more shares to get out, you know, to make the deal from Tesla or now he's talking about SpaceX. But if he does that, um, it's not good business. So the question is, why wouldn't you just pay the billion dollars and walk away? But there is another aspect to this, and that is Peter Thiel put him up to buying Twitter. And Peter Thiel is, this is his words, not me assuming, that doesn't believe in democracy, um, thinks giving women the right to vote was one of the worst things he ever did in the United States, was on the Trump transition team, and is behind right-wing candidates, and left Facebook's board to get these people elected. So getting with his data mining from Plantier combined with Twitter and his buddy, uh, I think is probably more of what's behind this, but we'll see. Because if he walks away with the billion, then that's a business decision. If he tries to leverage SpaceX stock to continue this purchase, that feels like something else. Well, yeah, the um, amount of data you would get from Twitter would be, I can't even imagine, um, yeah. given that Twitter is the breaking news and uh, you know, announcement. Uh, and, and, and Twitter is where people react to stuff. <laughs> um, and I think that's yeah, where you'd really be mining, st mining data. Well, it's the only open conversation platform, the real conversation platform. There's other ones out there that are, you know, small and minor. But it's the only place where you'll see, you know, doctors, scientists, politicians, celebrities, regular folks, you know, all get together and have conversations. Or you get information. Like during the epidemic, I the worst parts of it, it's still around, but I would go to COVID uh, scientists and look up what their research was, and I would talk to them about what they were doing. So it's the only place where you have that kind of open conversation online. Everything else is a walled garden. So uh, to get a hold of that platform and then to be able to use it for your own means is pretty, pretty powerful tool. One of the frustrating things about this story from, from where I'm sitting and in, in, as you know, host of this, of this, of this uh, podcast, um, Twitter is a remarkable marketing tool. Um, Twitter mightn't have a great profit model, but it is an incredible way for brands to initiate conversation, to get feedback, to, get, uh, to be held to account, and also to, um, you know, describe their own personalities. And uh, it just seems that this incredible communications tool is being jacked around for LOLZs, LOLZs. Well, and I do think, uh, again, this is not a political statement. These are just facts about Peter Thiel. It's Peter Thiel has been known to try to go after platforms before, like Gawker, because they made him mad. Gawker was out of line, too, but he destroyed them, put them in bankruptcy. They're back now. But he did that as a personal vendetta. It's not illegal to be a jackass in print. As it far is as not. I, as far as I know, you're allowed to be a jackass in print. It, yes, true. It's, um, it's a hard-held right, in fact. But the idea, and this is a Wall Street Journal reporting that Peter Thiel put him up to it. So it's not exactly like, you know, rumor mill, you know, TMZ or something. 
Um, the fact that he put Musk up to it and then Musk didn't do diligence and Musk bought it so quickly, and there just seems to be something other than a business decision behind this. And I do believe a lot of this is based on Teal. Um, also, big, you know, crypto, because everyone involved in the investment at the major levels are all crypto bros, including, including Jack. Um, well, those, yeah. those who have it jumped off of bridges in the last week. <laughs> um, with the, yeah, the, the well, that, oh. oh my god, what a meltdown there! That's the um, other thing. He has. I forgot to add that he lost a ton of money on Bitcoin, which he used, which was in Tesla. He bought a bunch of Bitcoin himself, so he estimated lost fifty billion dollars last week in worth, net worth across the board. That would so be that's about what, a quarter of the dude's net worth. Yeah, and and that's what that's what's probably behind him trying to now devalue. Twitter and all, and trying to get it at a lower price, but the Twitter uh, it's on on Twitter right now. Twitter board <laughs> uh, had a meeting this morning and said they absolutely will not capitulate on the price. So he is stuck at that price, and they could take it to court for years. But I don't think Musk's uh, attention span is going to last that long uh, to be in court for years over this. So hopefully, he just is smart and takes the deal. Of course, there's a bit of ego involved, so he may not. But that billion dollars right now seems like a pretty pretty inexpensive way for someone at his level to just get out of things. I want to get, I think that's the, 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 probably at this point, the wisest path. I can't imagine like Twitter being a profitable place in the, uh, in the near future, not after having thrown in like, you know, somewhere between 40, 45 and $55 billion for the damn thing. Um, no. Like how and do you get all, that money back? And it's not like that. Bad. It's not like that asset's going to like accrue value over time. That place is accessible. Well, let's just, let's just add to this too. Uh, Musk's ideas about how to do Twitter are, are not, if you work in social media, you're like that. You can't, that's not going to work. It's not going to help you make money. And then in addition, because he does, I think he does rockets and cars, so he thinks, oh, social media platform, that's simple. It's not simple. It's actually very complex, especially when you're someone who doesn't seem to understand people. Uh, but to give you an idea of the kind of postings he's doing, uh, one of his latest in the last hour is, ladies, mansplaining is short for man-explaining. I'm glad he cleared that up. Yeah, so he's regularly, since this started, posted things that are offensive to the people that buy his Teslas. Well, and then, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Tesla, too, because his consumer base is going to shrink. Also, Tesla's in a lot of trouble because they're rated number 28 on Consumer Reports for Reliability. Uh, full lines of EVs are coming out next year from Ford and GM. Mercedes is better in the driving tech. So they're falling behind on the tech. So this also is represented in that Tesla decline since he got so focused on Twitter because Tesla is in a position right now to actually lose a lot of its market share. Uh, because it's no longer the first to market, and they're not staying ahead of the tech, and they're not first to market on anything at this point. So basically, to summarize all that, people who live in glass houses shouldn't um, pee into the wind while stepping in it at the same time. <laughs> pretty pretty that, much, yeah. That's pretty much how it goes, right? <laughs> yeah, and there's also, he's also being investigated by the SEC again. Not that he usually cares, because he makes more off the violations than he does the fines. Yeah, it's the cost but of when, business. But when he did Twitter, the takeover of it, he was supposed to at 5% report that he was doing this because other people have the right to know. And he didn't, which means he got away with $150 million that he wouldn't have had to pay otherwise. <laughs> I mean, I mean, almost, I'm sorry, it's not, not funny. It's scoundrel-like behavior, but c compared yeah. to the other stuff, that's almost humorous. 
Yes, and I'm sorry, he would have gotten, he got away with making $150 million by not doing it. Okay, so you know what? We successfully made it through that segment without either of us blowing a gasket. We sounded like reasonable people the entire time. Phew. I know. I got to tell you, I think that's that's, that's a major life achievement for me at any rate. Um, But could you imagine imagine being um, frustrated and amped like this all the time? And that must be how John Mueller feels. Getting, you know, and and I think John Mueller must feel pretty good about himself too, helping people out and helping demystify Google all day long and, you know, being able to be uh, the Cheshire cat every once in a while while, you know, talking about Google. That must be, must be quite gratifying, eh? Yes. He's been doing this so long that um, he's able to look at a website and this is, this is, this is an SEO trick. Um, you know, you're able to like look at a website, different aspects of it, different elements of it. You used to be able to look at code and just be able to spot the anomaly from, from 100 miles away. Yeah, until they all started minifying it. Now you can't read anything. <laughs> Mueller is able to look at a site and regardless of language, look at, look at code and look at the other tools that he uses and spot spam no matter what language it's in. It's just it's structured in a certain way. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Well, you know, there's some truth to that. I have worked with clients who, I mean, not there's some, I mean, there's some truth to something being spammy, not John, not John's telling the truth. Um, but they have a spammy looking site. And so I have them redo it, the design of it, and the site suddenly starts doing better because it just has all the elements of looking like, you know, a spam site. So I do think that's interesting. Plus, I'm sure they have tools that just tell people how much of this, um, uh, no, I don't think anyone's ever seen the inside of Google Tools or ever reported on it. I've no, I'd love to see that stuff. Right, but I'm sure that they have somewhere in those tools that just automatically, like when I do a site audit, rates things as probably spammy, and then they review it quickly and determine whether it is or not. Well, this happened. Mueller was answering a question for somebody lifetime, and as he was answering the question, he looked at the guy's site and said, "You know, you might want to cover this up if you're." Uh, trying to make this site look all clean and polished, you might want to uh, remove this massive incident of spam. Yeah, the rewritten filler content was in his tweet. Yeah. I, I still think, though, there's tools. I know that Matt used to say they had tools. Like when I did a site, when I did site auditing or I, at a conference or I'd sit in a site audit session, Matt would be like, okay, let me get on my tools and I'll look at your site. And he would start giving information that only he could see on the Google side. So I do think there's things probably Don can see on his side from the tools that they have. Oh, quite a there's a pro- Indicate that there's a problem. But that's also something people should be aware of. Like rewritten filler content, people think like, well, if I just make it a little different, but Google's looking for a 60% difference in the content and not like based on the sentences or the paragraphs, but literally word shingles, like two and three word shingles of words that are together in the content. And if there's enough of that, plus some other, maybe some copied sentences here or there, they can determine that it's, rewritten content with you thinking you did a great job on rewriting that content. And there's also the fact uh, that I, I, don't, I don't want to put, you know, too fine a point on this or anything, but that you stole it. Yeah. Um, and you shouldn't true. do that. I'm sorry. I get, I, that, that drives me crazy when I see um, a, a, a virtual copy of a website. Like, like flattery may well be the, the, or imitation may well be the sincerest form of flattery, but not on my dime. <laughs> it annoys the heck out of me. By the way, this is just one step further, but just so people are aware, I see a lot about the AI content, and a lot of people are like, well, Google could never know that it's AI written. There's actually a tool 
that was put out by Harvard and IBM and another mm -hmm. university that can detect, it's AI that detects AI written content. So, um, and Google's very weird on that, right? Like a month ago, they're like, I mean, a year ago, they're like, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you, you can't use you can't use it. Then they're like, you can use it. And then they're like, you can't use it. And then they're like, you can use it, but you can't use it to manipulate rankings. Well, how do you how does Google determine you're manipulating rankings? Like, but they do have tools that can detect that you're using AI to write your content. Well, so I, I don't should know be you, aware of that. I don't know if you were listening last week, but um, do you remember the story about how uh, Google uh, Google's SEO training courses included such. Uh, oldies and not so goodies as like keyword density in uh, their, in their initial training programs? Although I have to say, I'm going to get slammed for this, but back in like 2007, 2008, like when Dave and I were working together, mm -hmm. uh, we had, there was a, a level because Google used math, right? So it's like, it needs so much keyword to detect that it exists. And, and, and earlier than that, in the early days of, of, of SEO, keyword density really was a tool. It honest yeah. to goodness worked. So what we figured is Google has used AI to write those 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 guidelines, those its training programs itself, and and it's just oh. fed tons and tons and tons of information on SEO from the beginning to now. That's interesting. And I have to look at it more to know, but that's interesting. So yeah. how does Google judge AI? Because it makes mistakes, <laughs> dumb <laughs> mistakes, um, well, which oh, ahead, which made ahead, us question Google's, you know expertise yeah. uh, authority and trustworthiness yeah. on that one if you're going to offer an seo module and a digital marketing course from google you really better not put keyword density in there if you're not a time machine and back in like 2006 but again i'm but, positive that's ai it, it something went out looked and and hoovered up every piece of information ooh. it could on, on seo including all the old stuff which you know mm. is legitimately out there just not valid techniques anymore you know if you want to send me that link, I can use the tool to find out if it is. I mean, shoot, I wrote a bunch of articles on the importance of keyword density. I even outlined the different densities for different search engines back well, in the day when you needed different densities for different search engines. And let's explain why that makes sense and doesn't make sense today. Because back then, their mathematical algorithms weren't using AI or machine learning. So they had to put in thresholds for yeah. it to, ma to matter. So if I put, you know, dog on the page once, that's not enough times for Google to know it matters for the topic of the page. But if I put it on there, I think at the time the density was like, I think we determined like 2.9, between 2.9 and like 5.5% would not get you flagged for spam. Um, after like 5.5 or 6.5%, it would be flagged for being spammy. But anyway, but that's based on how algorithms were written at the time. Yeah. The problem you have now is they use machine learning and neural matching and super synonyms, and you don't even have to have the word in the page or to rank for something. Well, and more importantly, so Doing density anymore. More importantly, uh, Google came along and just, and and used links and the uh, the validity of links, so the the topical relevance of links as the measure, and that changed everything. You know, yeah, it was it you know it was it was it was about other people judging the content as much as it was about the content you were creating yourself. Exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, so uh, it's uh, I just love <laughs> catching Google, but catching Google by their oh. own their own mistake. Um, and every time we do, we should call them on it because they have so much power over, um, you know, over how pages and, and, and sites rank. And that has a huge impact on, on, on people's lives and businesses. But speaking okay. of spam and, and copying and stuff like that, 
I don't know if anybody has, has seen this, but I've, I've seen a major rise in, um, this is most predominantly at Baidu, um, in uh, copies of um, Western sites or products being allowed through on the internet again. There was, for, 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 for years, Baidu was actually cracking down on, on pirated content and helping um, enforce copyright. But in the last couple of months, they seem to have stopped caring. Have that? I don't. I don't know if that's just me or if anybody else is is observed that. Well, I haven't. I haven't uh, read about it, but I mean, it would go along with typical um, Chinese business behaviors. I mean, I, I was at a, I was at CES one year with a, a trademark attorney, and he goes around and gives out violations for trademarks at CES because it was a really good place to get everybody that were his clients. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and I was talking to some guy, and he's like, "We have this unique tech, and blah blah blah. We got it made in China." And I had a boss who got things made in China. And I was like, oh, how did you protect your, your IP and your intellectual property there? He goes, well, we just trademarked it. We have lockdown deals with these people. They won't say anything. Well, okay. So I walked into two rooms over, and there was his product yep. at the Chinese table completely replicated. Well, I mean, so, this happens all over the place. I've, I've had spammers does. from all over yes. the world steal my content before, but it's um, for – years china was was actually helping enforce copyright by by shutting down these spam sites it was actively doing that or by, i should say baidu was and um uh, again i don't know if it's just the the two particular clients that i'm looking at uh, both of which are fairly large uh, american electronics corporations um so they're 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 primed to get to get to get pirated like like this this these are the people that the that the pirates see coming a mile away, um, but um, but yeah, it's just it's just something that, that that clicked up. And if it's actually happening, it's worth noting. And if it's not actually happening, it's worth some listener writing in saying, "Hey, Jim, you're being crazy." <laughs> well, you know the thing is, I mean, I used to work for a federal government site, and we had an. I found by doing a crawl looking through analytics anomalies that we had an entire Chinese site running off our site. There's a Chinese site selling shoes and stuff. And I sent it to the people, and I'm like, uh, we, these are all on our, they're getting our analytics. These are all on our links. I, like, looked at them. It's there. But but it was hiding. It was very adept at hiding itself from the software that was being used to detect that. So if it wasn't for my eyes on the anomalies in the analytics code, I mean, analytics reporting, it, we never would have seen it. So especially when I get into stuff like that, I can usually be pretty stealth. So the fact that they're not being self is interesting. Although I don't have a reason for that right now because I haven't read up on that story yet. But No, no. That is, I'm sorry, I didn't put a link up to that. It's just something that I saw come up a few times in the last couple of weeks. It's been playing in my stomach, but, you know, um, you do the, yeah, I've, I've done searches on, 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 on related keywords um, for, for pages that are, that are suddenly declining in value at Baidu. And is it um, the keyword set, you know, you, this keyword list from uh, Search Console of keywords associated with various pages. Each of those uh, keywords is now producing a bunch of pirate content rather than my client's content, which was in the in the in the prime positions before. You know what? But real quick about that, what bothers me about that is there should be a simple way at this point for Google to determine who originated the content. Like you know, oh, yeah, this, is, this is Baidu, not Google. Um, oh, sorry, that's right, Baidu. But Google has the same problem. Google has the same problem where scraped 
and stolen content appears above. I just saw someone talking to John last week about this, um, about their own results. And this should be at some point. You, like Google could, uh, could take a, you know, a site map like they already do from news, you know, take a site map and this is your content and they get that first. And once they mark that as first and anything else that comes up after, like, you know. It's pretty good at canonicalizing stuff it, that it finds yeah. in your own website, isn't it? Exactly. So it's just, it's just odd that they haven't really tried to fix that issue because I've had clients where um, everything gets scraped. There is one thing people should make sure they do, though, and in a lot of sites I audit, I do not see this. There is a tag you can put in the header that doesn't allow your stuff to be put into an iframe. Because a lot of times what they do is they're not actually scrape your content, they iframe it all, and they put it into their own site, but you don't see the frame when you go to the site, unless you're looking at the code. So if, at least if you put that in there, you kind of help reduce their ability to just take your, take your site and display it somewhere else. Okay, we're down to about five minutes for the end of the show. We got two more stories that we really want to cover. Okay. Um, this one is uh, might cause a bit of frustration in people who've been obsessing on Core Web Vitals. Um, it might not. You might be cool with it. There's a um, there might be a replacement in uh, Core Web Vitals um, interaction to Next Paint, which would uh, be used to. Um, replace FID, which is first input display. So um, first input display is you get a really big object, like the probably the largest object on the screen. How long does it take for that to fully resolve and become usable on either the mobile or the, the, the desktop device? That's a up and down measure. There's a lot of things that can uh, influence how a large object gets downloaded um, onto onto a mobile device. And uh, according to Google, it left uh, blind spots in their analytics. But something that I think is a bit more responsive um, is called Next Interaction to Paint, which um, checks the, 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 the basically the responsiveness of how long it takes you to interact with that large object. So how long before a form itself becomes usable? Um, and this isn't, um, uh, I forget, I forget there's another uh, measure on, on uh, and Core Web Vitals about when a page itself becomes usable. This is about when the large element becomes usable. So um, INP, interaction to next paint, is likely going to be replacing um, uh, uh, first input delay as a uh, CWV web vitals metric. <laughs> Which is, this is really important that people understand. So this is how long, basically, if I tap something, how long does it take it for that to create the response, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you have users that are all in the middle of a big city with like, you know, 10 gigabytes or 100 gigabytes of connection speed, then that's probably going to be pretty quick, even if your code is bad. But if you have even good code and you're, you know, users are in rural areas where they still don't have broadband, although that's being fixed right now in the United States, um, it might be really slow. So people have to remember that your CWV scores are based on your user's environment as well. So when you develop, when you develop a site, you need to stick to the Google protocol for development testing, not don't use what's in GSC. Um, you need to use their uh, fast 3G, slow 4G, Nexus 5X mobile device as you're testing. Because if you pass that, you'll always pass, right? 99.9% .9 of the time, there's nobody usually on enough, enough users that are on fast 3G, slow 4G to make that difference in your CWDs. 
But if you um, if you just do it according to what you see in your CWVs, that's just based on your users at the time. Like if when we went in the pandemic, pandemic went from offices to shut homes and during the shutdown, you could see drastic changes to your CWVs, nothing being different on your site, but people went from corporate connections to home connections. So if they're going to do this interaction level, make sure that you're doing that test environment. And in addition, um, do all load items because there are other reasons that load items affect. So don't just do your CWVs and think you're good. If your site and page is slow in other areas, Google may decide not to crawl that page. You may not come back as often or may not read all your content. So you definitely want to make sure that you're doing all your load time stuff, but definitely make sure that you're doing the test environment. Well, yeah, indeed. And remember, uh, Core Web Vitals is hardly an end-all, be-all measurement. It's important to Google. It's, um, I think it's more of a tiebreaker now than it is a um, a hard, fast uh, uh, rankings changer. But it does give you a good indication of Google's uh, impression and perception of your overall site, site health, site quality, and the quality of the user experience. And so scoring high there, you're going to have to score high with, you're gonna score with Google. Um, we got one more story, time for one more story. We have a hard stop at the top of the hour. Um, really cool story over at Search Engine Journal, more of a list of a 110 um, free tools free SEO tools. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I just got my bill for uh, Majestic and Sitebulb and all the other other stuff that I use and mid-month bill and oh my God, <laughs> you know, it's getting harder and harder each month to make things match. Uh, free free site stuff is, uh, site tools are, um, or free SEO tools are important. Yes, they are, definitely. <laughs> I mean, sorry, I, I was just giving some thought to that. Uh, the, I do love Sitebulb and and Screaming Frog, because overall they're the cheapest tools with the most data that you can get. But I did look through that entire tools list. There's a lot of good things on there. Do be aware that on free tools, um, like there might be a free, uh, like SEMrush trial, but you have to see what the restrictions are and what you're really getting for that. So you don't think like you can walk in with 10,000 pages and get like all the metrics because it doesn't work that way on some of them. But yeah, some of absolutely. them are really good free tools. And a lot of great free tools are in your extensions in Chrome and uh and whatever browser you use, Firefox is another one. Um, I have like 20 extensions that I have on my Chrome on my Chrome browser, and I can look at so much about a page when I'm trying to analyze at the page level uh, with that. Also be aware that some tools like Screaming Frog, which does have a free version, um, and Sitebulb has a free version, but the full versions are pretty inexpensive, and they give you a lot of what those free tools say they do, but at full value. So like yep. unlimited URLs and you know, the ability to get full metrics. So okay. we've... Uh, Christine, 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 sorry I'm so that. sorry. We've hit the top of the hour, sorry, and there's other stuff coming up on the network, like I'm right so up behind us. Free, free, free. <laughs> uh, yeah, folks, remember, you get what you pay for. If uh, you want the free tool, it's probably useful, but it probably has limitations, and we have to go. We've gone full round clock. So, friends, on May the 19th, 2022, you've been listening to Webcology here on, Webma on WMR.FM. On behalf of Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Stick around WMR or your other podcast network. We have tons coming up um, after these messages. The opinions expressed in this WMR.FM program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WMR.FM. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.